I think these unusual circumstances are what have really highlighted just how burdensome that request is. Tonight on the KRVD Evening Report, civil rights groups are asking that a requirement to get a witness to sign mail-in ballots be waived amid the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll hear about some highs and lows of distance learning from Juno parents, and a Bethel dumpster is generating a lot of conversation. Those stories and more coming up. First, a look at the local weather. Scattered rain showers tonight, lows around 50 degrees and light winds. Partly sunny skies on Friday with mostly cloudy skies Friday night. Highs around 60 degrees, lows around 50 degrees. Light winds becoming northwest to 10 miles per hour in the evening. Rain likely Saturday, highs around 60 degrees, lows around 50 degrees. Northwest winds to 10 miles per hour. A chance of rain on Sunday. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Maria Dudzak. Civil rights groups are asking Alaska's lieutenant governor not to enforce the requirement that voters get a witness to sign the envelope of their mail-in ballots. Natalie Landreth of the Native American Rights Fund says COVID-19 has made mail-in voting more important than ever. At the same time, Landreth says, the pandemic has made it harder for certain voters to safely obtain a witness signature. I think these unusual circumstances are what have really highlighted just how burdensome that request is. Landreth cited as examples elderly people who live alone and single parents at home with children. And three, a lot of tribes and some in particular right now are completely closed down because of infections, meaning you cannot leave your home. So if you do not live with anybody else, how are you supposed to get your signature, uh, a witness signature on that ballot? When Alaskans vote by mail, state law requires they sign the ballot envelope in the presence of a government official or an adult witness who must also sign the envelope. Landreth says the U.S. Postal Service's new policy against witnessing ballot signatures isn't helping. And make no mistake, if it's not signed, they don't count it. And I'm speaking from personal experience. One year, Landreth says she was notified that her ballot wasn't counted because it didn't have a witness signature. She says it's easy for a voter who is inexperienced or in a hurry to overlook that line on the envelope. NARF, the ACLU of Alaska, and the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law have asked Lieutenant Governor Kevin Meyer and the Division of Elections not to enforce the requirement for the November 3rd election. Landreth says the groups are preparing to file a lawsuit if the state doesn't grant the request. The Division of Elections had no response to their letter on Tuesday, but a spokeswoman said lack of proper witness signature was the number one reason the division rejected ballots in 2016 and 2018. About a third of ballots cast in last month's primary came by mail or online. After the first week of school in Juneau, Families are reporting highs and lows with the all-distance learning start of the year. KTOO's Jeremy Shea reports. For some kids, video conferencing doesn't come naturally. See, I'm Beckett. I'm Beckett. I'm telling what grade you're in, what school you go to. I'm third grade and I go to JCCS. <laughs> he has not been a fan of Zoom. <laughs> That's Jen Walker and her son Beckett. The eight-year-old is in third grade through Juno Community Charter School. Beckett shares a little about his schoolwork and his day, which included a separate Zoom session earlier. Read a little bit. Garfield. He did a hands-on math assignment. 
Just cutting out things. <laughs> blocks. Paper blocks. And he rode his bike. Or, in the super jargony words and sample schedules the district published, he did an additional asynchronous outdoor engagement activity. So far, he doesn't seem to have strong opinions about school this year. <laughs> but his mom says he's doing well with some parental help. Orlando is a single mom with a fourth grader at Harborview Elementary School. She says her son is starting out well. Well, he's excited. He had a really good first day. His teacher is really wonderful. She made a really wonderful um, welcoming. That's him. His beers must be burning in the next room where he's doing his schoolwork. Welcoming setting. And um, so he's pretty excited. Yeah, he's, he's liking it. <laughs> It's just me. <laughs> she says she isn't ready to give up on the dream that school from home will be as easy for her as school at school. She says the school district has been on top of technical support, but it seems like she'll still have to help out a lot. We can't just like set it and forget it. <laughs> we can't just like put him on the Zoom and walk away and he's got a full day of schooling. That's not how it's going to work. In the living room, she's got her work from home desk set up next to his desk. Her son's day is more structured than it was last spring when the pandemic led Governor Mike Dunleavy to close school buildings. Schools pivoted to things like pre-recorded videos and electronic assignments with some short sessions of live instruction over video conference. Landau says for her son, it was basically an early summer vacation with some school-related Zoom meetings to stay connected. And part of it was that, you know, we still were, as parents, were going huckledy-buckledy on our full-time schedules, and they're just you know, it just wasn't room to, to deal with kind of adding more. Um, I think the goal for us in the spring was consistency and, you know, emotional and mental health, and it wasn't academic learning. Elementary school students automatically pass their spring trimester. For the new school year, daily attendance and grading expectations are more normal. He can't just, you know, check out, <laughs> like was kind of what I think everybody did last spring. She says the first few weeks will be all about getting logistics and routines down. Rebecca Braun has a 12-year-old in seventh grade who's been questioning the value of school this week. The real stress, I think, this fall has been trying to establish that school matters, school's important, and you do have to do it. And that's something that I, don't, I didn't really have to do before. He used to opt into more challenging classes, but since things went remote, he's lost interest. She's not sure if that's normal adolescent stuff or a product of these strange times. Braun says she's been spending a lot of time keeping him on task and off distractions like YouTube and video games. And yet the technology for class has its own frustrations. For example, she said one of his first assignments was to make a digital poster to introduce himself. But just getting photos into the school system was a significant hurdle. So we finally did it. Um, but it took a lot of both of our time and effort to just get that kind of simple assignment done because of the technical challenges. School officials hope to gradually resume in-person classes when public health conditions improve. In Juneau, I'm Jeremy Shea. And after that first week, Juneau School District officials say they have about 10% fewer students than they forecast in the spring. Among the remaining students, hundreds have opted into HomeBridge, the traditional homeschool program the district supports. These are preliminary numbers that are likely to change over the school year, but they're already having impacts. Superintendent Bridget Weiss says some elementary school teachers have been reassigned to Homebridge, and there's more to do. Homebridge is a great program, and it's supported about 35 kids a year. It, it's been adequate. 
Well, now we're supporting 300 kids, right? Or thereabouts. We know we'll have some families shift back. But so that program, we're going to put some time in. These enrollment shifts could also have a significant impact on the district's budget. The way the state's education funding works is largely based on how many students show up for class, even virtually this year. State law softens the impacts of abrupt drops in student counts, meaning with 10 percent fewer students, funding won't immediately fall by 10 percent. But it'll be a hit for sure. Also, school districts get less money for each homeschool student compared to a typical student. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and the district's decision to start the school year without in-person classes are sure factors driving the enrollment shifts. School officials anticipated the trend as the pandemic dragged out over the summer, but that wasn't clear when budgets were drawn up in the spring. This year, of course, uh, it's extraordinary because when we developed our budget, it was just closing right at the time that this was hitting. And, you know, if you think about what we knew the first week of March compared to what we know now, it's pretty night and day difference. Weiss says school officials will look at every which way possible to resolve the coming funding gap. A dumpster in Bethel is generating a lot of conversation. Right next to the city hall is a dumpster with Black Lives Matter painted boldly on the front. Last week, someone took a can of spray paint and crossed out those words. KYUK's Greg Kim has more on how that dumpster came to be and what will happen to it now. Bethel's dumpsters are usually painted by children in summer art camps. This year, because of COVID-19, those camps were canceled. Margaret Hanna, an art teacher at the high school, decided to open up the project to anyone in the community, and she provided few rules on what could go on the dumpsters. This is my first community art project. I I did say no uh, profanity, but I didn't say no politics. When the city's landfill manager saw the finished dumpsters, he sent an email to the city manager that read, quote, All of them are pretty positive. However, one of them is real political, and I need your advice as to whether it should be painted over or left as is. He was referring to the Black Lives Matter dumpster. Then-City Manager Vinny Carraza acknowledged it was a sticky situation that could attract protest no matter what the city decided to do. In the end, he directed the landfill manager to treat the Black Lives Matter dumpster the same as any other. It ended up right next to the police station, where Police Chief Richard Simmons watched it get unloaded. We started laughing because we're like, oh, they didn't mean to put that here. It didn't stay there for long. Carraza said he had conversations with Simmons about the dumpster, after which he decided to move it. They did not ask it to be removed, but uh, I I got the sense that it needed to be removed. Simmons says that neither he nor the police department opposed the Black Lives Matter message on the dumpster. He said his concern was more that because the police station is isolated away from the rest of town, no one would see it. It wasn't going to stay here when I saw it, because it's not the place where it should be. It, It needs to be out where it's seen. When asked whether he supports the Black Lives Matter movement, Simmons said it wasn't his place to take a public position. Our official policy in the police department is neutrality and fairness and trying to be just for everybody. Taking the police chief's advice to display the artwork more prominently, City Manager Carraza decided to move the dumpster right next to City Hall. Usually City Halls and council chambers are your public forum where the people can redress government um, and so this will be sitting right at City Hall. I thought it was very appropriate to have it here, an exercise of free speech. Not everyone liked the new location. 
Several community members wrote to the city manager asking for it to be painted over. One email read, quote, I am offended that such a dumpster exists. The nature of that dumpster promotes negativity and hate. Then, last week, someone crossed out the words Black Lives Matter with spray paint. The city got in touch with Madeleine Reichardt, one of the community artists who had decorated the dumpster. She went and repainted it. Are we disappointed? Sure. But, you know, we will repaint it a thousand times if we have to because it's a message that we believe in. I think that we can all agree that we shouldn't be just killing people, especially not based off of skin color. Pictures of the vandalism and the restoration were posted to Facebook, where they quickly garnered hundreds of comments from community members. Initially, the art teacher said she regretted not setting stricter rules for what should decorate the dumpsters, but now she's changed her mind. No, I don't. I do not regret it. I'm glad that this dumpster was painted, and I'm glad that these conversations are happening. You know, the more conversations that we have, uh, the better chance we have of dealing with the racism that still exists. As of now, the dumpster is back next to the city offices. Black Lives Matter remains the message. In Bethel, I'm Greg Kim. That's all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. You can get the show as a podcast with your favorite podcast app, or you can get it on your smart speaker. Just ask it to play the KRBD Evening Report, or just ask it to play KRBD. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Maria Dudzak. Coming up, Alaska News Nightly at 6, Book Talk at 6.30, and Babblefish at 7.00.